Welcome to Primordial Path. My name is Casey and I'm your guide on this podcast, which is dedicated to exploring ancient meditation and healing practices. We'll examine them through an accessible modern lens and discover how they can profoundly impact your life, your body, your mind, your soul, your energy. So stay tuned. Here we go. Welcome back. Today we're going to talk about reprogramming your mind. This is such a juicy topic to talk about. So many self-help books are out there which talk about some version of this. And it's been commonplace to reprogram our brains since the beginning of time. But let's begin by looking at this from a modern perspective. Let's consider our brain. Our brain is the most amazing computer that has ever been made. It's a biocomputer that is so complicated that we can't even fathom its complexity. Scientists say that it has somewhere between 10 and 13 billion neurons that analyze, interpret, compare, store, and send information from the outside world and our own bodies. It can process millions of bits of information from hearing, seeing, as well as information from every part of the body every second. Don't forget that every hair has a link to the brain. There are a lot of connections between the brain and every single part of the body. But we're completely unaware of this most of the time because it happens in our subconscious mind. We talked about this previously in another episode. We need to be unaware of these things because if we knew everything all the time, the constant flow of information would just be way too much for us to handle. In some ways, the mind of a person is like a computer. Most of us have lives that are like the output of a broken computer. Now, in most cases, it's not the brain itself that's wrong. It's the program in the mind. In other words, if we want our lives to have meaning, we have to change the way our minds work. Just like a computer, when our computer gets a virus, we don't throw away the whole computer. We simply reprogram what's going on within the computer. All of our unhappiness and pain in life comes from the wrong mental program that we've slowly built up since birth. And if you change the way your mind works, you can start living a happier and more meaningful life. With a well-trained mind, this world would be like heaven on earth. A mind that isn't well-trained can turn this world into hell. Generally, our minds are set up in a way that it makes us unhappy. This makes us try to find the happiness with external factors, such as making money, accumulating things like cars, clothes, the latest phone, iPads, etc. Or maybe it's gaining social status, drinking, or chasing after desires that make us feel good for a short amount of time. In essence, we try to make ourselves happy by pleasing or boosting our egos. So what does this way of looking for happiness lead to? Well, it causes us to use other people to get what we want. And if they get in our way, we do all sorts of obvious and not so obvious things to bypass them or to push them out of the way. This leads to anger, to fear, jealousy, worry, tension, and so on. And when we keep trying to find happiness in these ways, we end up making ourselves mentally tense and as a result, unhappy. And if we don't get what we want, like our goals, we end up with mental tension, boredom and sadness, and even worse, depression. We keep going after these things, even though they don't make us happy. Why? Well, the answer is that we're sticking to the plan that we set up for ourselves. 
through our programming, we've taught ourselves to want these things, even though they don't make us happy in the long run. Now, changes can be made to a computer program. In the same way, we can change the way our minds work if we put in the work. We can change the way we react to our environment so that we don't have to rely on ego trips and wants to be happy. When we're always fighting life and the people around us, it's almost impossible to meditate. If we go with the flow of life instead, meditation will happen almost on its own. And if we can change the way that our minds work, we'll be able to tune into our surroundings and to meditate without having to try. Our minds will start to get bigger. Our consciousness expands. And when we harmonize our minds to our surroundings, we automatically feel happy. Happiness comes from inside, not from changing the world to fit our needs. I'm sure you've heard the expression that happiness is an inside job. And by reprogramming our minds, we can find lasting happiness within ourselves. Our current likes and dislikes, hatreds, jealousies, etc., these distort the way that we see the world around us and ourselves. Our mind only takes in and acts on information that fits with how we're programmed right now. In other words, if we feel or if our mental program tells us that everyone outside hates us, then our mind will only accept and let us access information that supports this view. Some information will be hidden. If we think that our mental program tells us that everyone loves us, on the other hand, our mind will again interpret information in a way that supports this idea. This is a very simplified explanation, but it shows how our minds color the outside world to fit how they are programmed. Because of how we've been raised, our wants, attachments, and so on, we never see the outside world and other people as they really are. I'm not saying that desires are bad. I'm just saying that they're blocking your spiritual growth and meditative experiences. Indescribable happiness and a higher awareness are waiting for us. All we have to do is reprogram our minds and meditate. So there's a few things to remember here. First, remember that we don't want to change anything about how you live. By reprogramming your mind, we want to change how you relate to the outside world. Second, you need to realize that you can't find happiness outside of yourself. If you've tried for years to find happiness in the outside world and still haven't realized that it's not there, then maybe you aren't ready to make a change. And if that's the case, stop this episode now and come when you've come to this realization on your own. There's no reason for you to change your mind. You won't try to change your mind until you realize that you can't get peace and happiness from the outside world. Just look at the people who have tried everything to find happiness outside of themselves. They never seem to get what they want. It's always like there's this void that they need to fill. And if they do get what they want, generally they aren't happy because there's still a lack or a want for more. Have you ever heard of the expression, more money, more problems? In fact, they tend to lose hope, these people, and become cynical. They start to think that permanent happiness and peace is a myth. Now, the third important thing to remember is that the mind can be changed. There's a saying, as we think, so we become. Our minds are set up the way they are now because of what we have thought in the past. The mind is like a piece of clay. It molds itself to suit the impression imposed on it. So if we start trying to think differently, the mind will slowly but surely change. 
So let's look at an example of how programming from childhood can dictate our actions as adults. Let's say a child lives in a home where the husband gets everything his own way by acting like a tyrant. At the same time, the child might find that he's always at the mercy and whims of others. For example, he wants to go and play with his friends, but his father says no. His mind starts to program itself so that he thinks that power is the only way to do and to get what you want in life. And when he becomes older, he therefore seeks power as a means of attaining happiness. It's the same with nearly all our external motivations in life. They start in essentially the same manner. At the same time, we have the power to get rid of this existing program so we don't have to follow its rules anymore and replace it with a program that lets us live in harmony and helps us grow as people. We can make a future that is conscious, positive and awake just by changing the way we think. We can eventually try to find the beauty and truth that are hidden inside us. This brings us to auto-suggestion. Everyone has things like phobias, complexes, emotional stresses, and so on that makes their minds constantly tense. Now this is whether they're aware of it or not. And all of these keep the mind from being calm and peaceful, and they get in the way of meditation. We should remember that cliche, as you think, so you become. Because this tells us a way to remove these mental symptoms. Suggestion has a lot of strength. If we think negatively about life, it will turn out that way. If we think positive, we'll be more likely to act positively. If we think about getting cancer with enough intensity and belief, we'll eventually get cancer. And the opposite is true as well. If we think we're healthy and healing ourselves, we will be. That's how powerful suggestions or beliefs are. These ideas don't just come from inside the head. They also come from the outside world. In fact, they happen almost all the time because outside events are always affecting our thoughts. When we read a book, it gives us ideas that change the way we act. When we talk to someone, we are always be being given advice, even if we aren't always aware of it. Even when we go to the supermarket, think of all the marketing and advertising material that's in our faces constantly, not just at the supermarket, but everywhere. Everything that comes to mind comes in the form of ideas. People can give you hints by the way they look at you, move their hands, speak, and do so many other things. Using this power of suggestion in the form of auto-suggestion is the easiest way to get rid of all of the things that keep our minds tense and stop negative outside influences from making the mind even more upset. At the same time, we should use auto-suggestion to prepare ourselves immediately before meditational practices. The essential requirement for effective auto-suggestion is the deep need to see the aims and suggestion translated into the desired results. Without a strong need or will, the object of auto-suggestion is unlikely to succeed or materialize. One must want to make a change. If the need is only half-hearted, it can be built up to a higher level of intensity by continually thinking about this subject. As you move along the spiritual path, you'll become more and more aware of the things that bother you. The more you grow, the more they'll show up and rise into the field of consciousness. And as soon as they show up, they should be cancelled out by replacing them with their opposite or by making it clear that they are not so important or needed anymore. Now, since everyone has different problems, you need to figure out for yourself how to solve them and how to come up with your own method. For example, take someone who's afraid of the dark. 
So since they spend so much of the time in darkness, such as sleeping, this is bound to cause mental disturbances. Their mind will always be tense, consciously or unconsciously. The way to remove the phobia is to realize how ridiculous this fear really is and to realize that darkness is only the opposite of light. To realize that many other people are not afraid of the dark, so therefore why should, he have a, why should we have a fear of the dark? And so on. Constant auto-suggestion in this way will surely remove the fear. These kinds of suggestions are most powerful when the individual is in a state of relaxation. Even a deep-rooted fear is amenable to this type of treatment, providing the individual devotes themselves wholeheartedly to the removal. Eventually, a new indifferent attitude to the dark with this example will penetrate the subconscious and the fear will disappear. The fear will go away when the subconscious takes on a new, less caring attitude towards the dark. Auto-suggestion can help with all kinds of problems, fears and conflicts. All you need is to want to get rid of the problem. Sounds simple, right? But how can a person find out the deeper problem that adversely influences their lives? or that cause them unhappiness and tension, or the ones that they don't even know about. As a person becomes more aware through yoga and meditation, their problems, phobias, fears, etc. will slowly come to the surface. Doing the meditation technique and our Malna regularly and keeping a mental or written record of what comes up during this practice is a great way to find these deep-seated emotional and mental tensions. The next step in trying to get rid of mental and emotional problems is to stop bad thoughts and feelings from being caused by outside events and crises. In other words, the mind needs to be made stronger so that outside events don't have as much of an effect on it. The method is to slowly learn to be detached from everything and everyone, known as Vairagya. We'll touch on this in another episode. This doesn't mean you shouldn't become a vegetable or ignore the ups and downs of life in your relationships with other people. It means that even if you love, hate, argue, etc. because of the things going on outside of you, these things shouldn't change you on a deeper level. On a human level, they must make you feel something, but on a deeper level, they shouldn't at all. It's all about how you see yourself. If you see yourself as your body or your mind, then painful or unwanted physical and mental symptoms will have a big impact on your life. In a similar way, if you don't identify with your body-mind connection, but rather with the center of your consciousness, the physical and mental pains of life won't bother you much. We can think of outside things such as ripples on a pond. Ripples stir up the surface of the pond, but they don't change the bottom of the pond very much. The same should be true for a spiritual seeker. Negative thoughts and physical problems shouldn't bother you. Now, I realize this is easier said than done, but if you keep practicing self-awareness, you can get to a place where you're calm and peaceful, even when things are going crazy around you. Auto-suggestion is also used to treat and prevent illnesses, diseases, and physical body problems. Strong-willed aspirants have been able to heal even the most serious of terminal diseases, like cancer and leukemia, by willing the body to become whole, strong, and balanced. The best times to use auto-suggestions are after meditating, right after waking up in the morning or right before bed at night. During these times, the mind is especially open to ideas. For a few minutes, simply say the auto-suggestion out loud and with feeling. Believe with all of your heart that the auto-suggestions will lead to the change that you want. If this is done, the idea can only be a good one. 
ideas that aren't given their all are sure to fail. Now, if you're on that side of TikTok, there are plenty of people touting their quick fix affirmations for all sorts of things. Take this with a buyer beware approach. These particular words may be great for that person and their personal needs. However, it would likely need to be modified to fit to your needs specifically. This brings us to self-identification. This is a process of re-identification, which is necessary in regards to ourselves and our surroundings. We get into a lot of trouble in life because we identify with our bodies, our minds, our jobs, or any other role that we play. We identify with things that change over time instead of with a part of us that doesn't change at all, which is the very core of our existence, our soul. If and when we can separate ourselves from our role in our life, our body and our mind, and see them as just expressions in our being, the self, then meditation will be almost a constant and natural process. Even a small amount of detachment from our manifested parts will help us a lot to have a good meditation experience because we won't be distracted by our bodies, minds, or emotions. When our bodies, minds, and emotions are all calm, meditation will be a natural, easy, and automatic process. So when asked what they do for a living, most people often say things like, I'm a doctor, I'm a plumber, I'm a housewife, I'm a footballer, I'm a lawyer, whatever. How they answer will depend on what they think is their most important job in life. They might say different things. For example, a woman might say that she's a mother, a wife, and a lawyer by day. But what really matters is what these things do, not what they are. Now, let's take an extreme example of how this kind of identification can lead to much unhappiness. Consider an actor. He sees himself as an actor, an actor with a great physique, a handsome face, a manly voice. He's young and dashing. He takes great care of himself and to keep in good shape. Yet as the years pass, he'll progressively and very critically notice that he's becoming older. His handsome features start to fade. His body loses its strength and his voice loses its depth. He might even spend many, many hours every day despondently looking at himself in a mirror. He becomes depressed and unhappy because his conception of himself is disappearing. His self-identification with a transitory phenomenon is taking its toll. In many cases, especially with actors and celebrities, this crisis has often led to an emotional breakdown of some sort. And many, as is the obvious cases in Hollywood, not just with actors but celebrities, like I said, in general, is that they, re they resort to plastic surgeries to try and hold on to their youth. Botox, anybody? A similar thing happens to a mother. Her kids will leave her at some point. And again, the fact that she sees herself as mother can cause a lot of unhappiness. The same thing goes for a doctor, a plumber, a housewife, or a lawyer. They're not permanent realities. Have you seen the original Doctor Strange movie? So the main character goes through a period of turmoil when he can no longer be a surgeon. And because of this, because of his strong identity with that title, this is what brings on this turmoil. And a lot of that movie is his plight to regain that title back and his fight to do absolutely anything he can in his power so that he can return to that role of doctor. It's a losing battle. Spoiler alert, he doesn't get there. So if identification with our body, mind, and emotions is so common and widespread that we automatically assume it's truth. For example, someone says, I'm thirsty. This statement is said with no thought of its significance, yet it's not realized that the I signifies our self-identification. 
and the I refers to a temporary phenomenon, the physical body. A more realistic statement would be, my body is thirsty. In this way, it would be implied that the body is merely a temporary manifestation of the permanent self, the inner core of existence, the soul. The same applies to our emotions and thoughts. We say, I am angry, or I am depressed, and so on. Yet, it's really the emotional system of the mind that feels these things. These are temporary emotional states which disappear as quickly as they arise. One moment there's a friendship and then later there's a feeling of animosity. They are not permanent, even though we habitually identify ourselves with these states. We say, I think this, or I think that, or I think that 1 plus 1 equals 2. Yet, it's not really I that thinks, it's the mind. And the mind is changing from day to day. It's also not permanent. So how can it be the permanent reality that is I? One day our mind can think one thing and the next day it can think something else. It's in a constant state of flux. How can we really identify ourselves with it? What we should say is, my mind thinks or my mind feels, for the mind is not the real I. So here we have the ability to watch the activities of the mind and the body. How could something that we watch be who we really are? Someone or something must be looking. The body and the mind are just tools that help us act, to see, to think. They're not a thing. The center of our consciousness is who we really are, the real I. The self is what shines a light on everything we do and sees what we do. Even though this is where we come from and what makes us who we are, very few of us act from or identify with it. As we've already said, most people identify with the mind and body, which are its outward signs and tools. If we worked from the self and knew that the self was our true identity, we could use our body and mind to their fullest potential. Both our minds and our bodies would be at their best. We'd be healthy because our complexes and prejudices wouldn't get in the way of how our mind and body work together. And from this point of view, meditation would be something that happens on its own, naturally. But how does one start to act from the real I, the center of consciousness? This is what the spiritual path is all about. The path is long, it's hard, but the information here is a big help on its own. As we already said, even partial identification with the self and dissociation from the body, mind and roles in a daily life are great tools for having a meditative experience. And meditation, as we know, is a powerful way to get to the center of your own being. First thing you should know is that everything you do in this life is just a role that you're playing. They have nothing to do with who you are or what you really are. They're nothing more than a sign. This doesn't mean you won't play your roles anymore. You'll just start, you will do them, but now you'll see yourself as an actor. You'll be able to see yourself acting and performing your role, your part. You'll see your true self in the audience while your body and mind play their parts. The next thing you need to understand is that you're not the body or its sensations. You're not your emotions, you're not your intellect, you're not your mind in any way whatsoever. And at first, this will have to be done intellectually, but after some practice, you'll stop identifying with all of these manifested aspects of yourself, and you'll know yourself as your true inner being, a part of the whole, the collective consciousness, the manifest and the unmanifest existence, which we know as God.